to be 19 and having a 60 year old, you know, cis white man on his knees crying in front of you is is a special experience. <laughs> it's leveling. Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to listener questions. This is a very fun and exciting episode structure for us today. I am Sarah, one of your hosts, and I am joined by my now today you are the cozy co-host, yeah. Robin. <laughs> very cozy today. We yeah. have switched roles. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am feeling cozy. I'm enjoying all of the weather. What's giving you a fuck yeah right now, Robin? Well, today, Sarah, I am 30 days sober. That happened so fast. It doesn't feel like it happened fast to me. Congratulations. <laughs> it's been a long road. Thank you. Oh, how are you feeling? What I've discovered so far is that it didn't make me have less emotions or less, you know, it's not like I'm not depressed or anxious, but it's a lot easier to deal with it. You know, yeah. it's a lot easier to see the temporariness of the feelings. And um, it definitely gives me, I definitely have way less anxiety. I was definitely making things worse by smoking weed all the time, even though I was pretending that it was a coping mechanism. I think at one point it was coping and then it became like the reversed. So I've been doing my meetings. I've been, you know, there's like a queer women's group that's close to my house. I've been doing that. Everyone's really young though. <laughs> like a lot of Gen Z people, which I love them. And I love just the way that they have of living. It's so, it's so free and kind in a lot of ways, but you know, some of them will be like, and then I dropped out of college and that was 2020. That was and I'm last like, oh, year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of actually like people talking about their parents, which, you know, I do as well that have a huge effect on our lives, no matter how old you are, but it's being a parent also is kind of meta in the same way. And I think it's hard they're always shocked when I tell them that I have children. But I feel really good about it. And I don't feel like I'm going to stop being sober anytime soon. Um, and I've been discovering different ways that I can still have fun. Mm. I'm going to go to Akbar in a couple of nights where they're having a, a goth night. Nice. So I'm going to go out to a bar for the first time. But I think I'm really going to, you know, I'm going to wear all my black, which will be like, a lot of clothing. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a blast. I'm going to do my gothy dances. I'm going to do my little Wednesday dance and stuff and just <laughs> enjoy myself. So I think that'll be nice. Do you have more energy? No, I'm less irritable. I'm more patient. Um, although my patient is tried often. Um, having kids, I have been going through a really sleepy period. I had a little bit where I could wake up early and be fine. But 
And I've heard other people talk about this. Like, I think my body's recovering in some way. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I'm just letting myself be sleepy. I get really tired around 930. Mm. I can sleep a long time. I forgot how to sleep in for a while and I have rediscovered it. You know, crazy. I don't want to say crazy anymore. Madcap. Is that even better? (laughs) Really uh, vivid dreams. A word that I like to replace that word with is wild. Wild. That's a good one. Thank you. And I'll wake up at night and not be able to go to sleep again. So I'm depending a fair amount on podcasts to put me back to sleep so I can stop my mind from racing. My mind is very active. Oh, yeah, because you were shutting it down. There is a podcast, Nothing Much Happened. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. It is a it's a whole podcast dedicated to just like super banal yes stories either like you need something to just help you really chill the fuck out or go to sleep yeah podcast that sounds great i'll check that out cuz yeah my mind starts racing and i i've been having like the dreams where i absentmindedly have a drink and then i get upset with myself and then i'm like oh i got to start over i'm not going to get my 30 day chip or whatever But then I wake up and I'm like, oh, that's a relief. So your anxiety has just transferred to your dream. It's in my dreams. But I do feel like I'm on a good path. I feel like I'm on a much better path. I was spiraling a bit. So I'm feeling really good about actually being able to make a change in my life. Even a change that my identity was pretty wrapped up in weed. Mm -hmm. And get this, Sarah, this is something I realized. The first person I ever smoked weed with was my mom. I was like 13 or 14. (laughs) I'm telling on my mom right now. And she wanted to make sure that I knew how to roll a joint and didn't look like, you know, an asshole in front of my friends. She was the first person I smoked cigarettes with too. It was a weird bonding thing. Oh, that is a lot to unpack. Okay. And then get this. This is heavy shit. (laughs) I don't mean to bring the room down. But when she was dying, she, the last thing she asked for was a hit of weed and I gave her that and then held her hand and like she slowly just passed away so for me it's like a huge there's a lot here yeah it's like (laughs) it's a lot my history with it's really intense so it's been like a big I think a big thing for me to be able to let go of it in a way where I'm not struggling. Like I'm not thinking about it all the time. I've just decided it's not my path right now. And I've kind of let go of it in a way that I've has been integral and identity based for a long time. So I mean, I think that that's such a great approach because it gives you that non-attachment of like, Right. I this doesn't have to be a permanent decision. Like we're constantly evolving and changing and like right now I'm choosing. You know, I think of these crutches and certainly like you know, I mean we've talked on the podcast that alcohol is mine. At times it's also been exercise. It's not as much right now, but it starts feeling like this third kind of wooden leg or something. Obviously the term crutch, but I just I'm trying to visualize it or like how I visualize it of like actually seeing it be this thing that you like you hold on tightly to like 
if this gets taken away, like where's my equilibrium going to be? And I think that we are kind of addictive creatures. Yeah. And there doesn't have to be shame around that because there's a lot of things in our world that are really hard to deal with. And we're afraid that like if the crutch gets taken away, that we're not going to be able to stand up on our own two feet. And I think that you've handled this with such grace. And I really do think that the approach of I'm making like it's really grounded in the present. Right. I'm making this choice for myself right now. And I'm giving myself permission that the choice might change at some point. Yes. Yeah. And that's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's what I need right now. And that the thing that you're talking about with the crutch reminds me that when I was really struggling with it deep in it, knowing that I needed to stop, but not sure how I could do it. I would say to myself, if I don't have this, then I don't have anything. Mm -hmm. I had to let go of that. Yeah. Actually, I have a lot. Yeah. I do have a lot. And I'm actually good enough on my own. That's been a big thing for me. Like, I don't need the substances to be good enough. Mm. I'm actually amazing on my own. So. <laughs> I love it. That's what I'm working on right well, now. <laughs> and I appreciate you so much for sharing this because I would imagine that like the, those are some pretty powerful words for some folks to hear and that the listeners may really resonate with that. I mean, that would be my greatest hope is that it does resonate with somebody and helps them get through it. I mean, that's part of been doing the AA stuff is other people's words sinking in and being like, okay, I think I could do this too. Mm. So congrats. Here I am. 30 days. Amazing. Thank you. Yay. I'm clapping, Yay. but not yeah. my mic. <laughs> Were you ready yeah. to uh, dive into some listener questions? I am. I'm excited to do this. So you have some that you're going to ask, and then I have a few also. So this will be fun to see what, what people came up with. Shall we go back and forth? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. You start. You start. I'm going to start with one that came in in kind of a couple different forms. Um, oh, and first of all, thank you so much, folks, for sending yes. questions in. It's really nice to be able to interact with you in this way. People are very curious about you, Robin, in general, mm -hmm. specifically about like how you got into being a dominatrix. And also... If you have any recommendations for someone getting into this line of work, whether it's like how they actually do it or figure out it's right for them, but also just like boundary setting and like, you know, doing it, doing it well. We talked about it a little bit on the last episode. My mother had moved to Indiana to go back to school to Muncie. And I moved mm -hmm. in with her for a little bit to kind of get my shit together. And that's where she suggested that I go to this goth bondage kink club. And I did. And it turned out to be hosted and run by a dom named Moth. Ooh. And shout out to Moth if you're listening. I love you still. You started me on the right path. What a great dom name, Moth. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. She is kind of Susie Sue goth, like hardcore cat eyes every day. I, she's had purple hair for the longest time that I can remember. And just in this little town that she was from, she started a 
kink club. She took me under her wing and I made a lot of artwork for the club. I would do all the flyers. We would throw parties where people from, you know, Ohio and and Illinois and all over Indiana would show up. People would drive hours and hours to come to these things. What an interesting insight. I feel like in LA, there was like the influx from like the Inland Empire and Orange County and stuff. Mm -hmm. But for people that come from out of state is amazing. The people that are kinky in the rural areas are real special. And I mean that in the nicest way. The one guy who helped us with a lot of stuff, we called him Mojo. He started a freak show. He would hang anything from his piercings, like, and he had them all over his body. And he lived in basically a bunker built into a hill. And he like grew up hunting squirrels for dinner type of wow. guy. You know, he had so many guns. But he was really liberal and very kinky and just the biggest weirdo. And he was our star masochist. He had a leather line that I modeled for. Like it was it was great. So they taught me a lot, to be honest. So I'm going to tell something that I've only told a couple people and I'm ready to let it out because it's been okay. a long time. Okay. But. We, we did kinky stuff. I learned like the basics of, of kink. And I, and I did a number of sessions with Moth, but a handful. And so then I decided I was going to move back to Los Angeles. I loved the community in Indiana, but I was like, I can't hang. I got to go back. I came back to LA and um, went to the top dom house in LA and told them that I was a very experienced dom. That I was hired and I was a 20-year-old dom and I was in there with some of the top doms that like really knew their shit and I winged it. Wow. And then I basically became one of the top doms there after a while, but you want to talk about imposter syndrome like I kind of had it the whole time and just I would not recommend that for anyone else. <laughs> it's not the safest or uh, least stressful way to go about it. But I think it's a little bit that audacity that you have when you're young, or at least I did. I was just like, I'm just gonna, I'll see if they'll hire me. And I'm just gonna say that I have more experience than I do. And they did hire me. I remember my first session was with a, a sissy boy. That's what he liked to be called. He loved to see the new doms. So he was my first one. He came in specifically to see me. And in front of these older, wiser, much more skilled doms, I had to bring him out in a maid's outfit and order him around and have him do things. And it was terrifying. I was terrified. And I wasn't speaking and this one Dom Prudence, who was just so hardcore and so beautiful and knew her shit and been doing it for 20 years, was just like, oh, Mistress Mary, you're you're very quiet. Mm. And so I had to like step up and start ordering and I did it, you know, so I did it. And and I don't know, that was my big secret that because at that place to get a job as a dom, you had to go through being a submissive, a pro-submissive first. And then you could be a switch and then a dom. And that whole process would take like 
six months to a year depending on how well you excelled and how much you work. And what do you think about that process? Do you think that that is an effective process? I know it's how a lot of people come into the work. I think it's a good, I think you definitely need to sub in order to get a feel for it. But now, you know, that house of domination just closed last Mm. year. And um, it wasn't entirely because of COVID. I think it's just a new era. That house had been going for like 30 years. It was in its heyday in the 80s and 90s. And and now with just the way people are meeting each other and also I, I'm not totally sure how doming is happening these days because there's also such a shutdown on the internet as far as how you can post and find clients. So I don't know how people are finding clients, but I think that if you do your duty and, and study under a pro-dom, if, if you can get your apprenticeship, that you don't necessarily have to completely go through being totally s- submissive. You need to know what it feels like, but I don't know that you have to give yourself, especially in a pro-context. So as a professional submissive, like you are getting... Uh, spanked or whatever it is that your repertoire is by clients. That's a whole other way of interacting with clients and, and with sex work. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you had actually sort of the right combination of some good mentorship Mm-hmm. But then the audacity that you're seeking to, I mean, not that I'm like encouraging people to go out there and, uh, you know, practice in unsafe ways. But I, I think that there is a little bit of posturing that happens for all of us in upleveling our lives, right? In any area. Like if you're going to take a risk, you might not always have the experience for the thing that you're doing. But there might be some sort of inner compass or inner knowing that it is what is your path. Because, I mean, you are a very skilled dominant. Thank you. And especially like when we've taught together that series that we did, Creating Meaningful Dom Sub Dynamics, you have a performative, like it, it turns on. Right. This like part of you turns on. And you're able to flow and it, you're really spontaneous and you play with energy and you're just very skilled at it. So you sort of knew that you had that quality. Yeah. How did you know that? When did you learn that about yourself? You know, I feel like I almost learned it in retrospect because I was so full of self-doubt about it. But I'm just drawn to it, I suppose. I mean, just even that my mom would pick up that I should go to this goth night. But not that she really knew what it was about, but I was immediately drawn into the community. And I guess that's what it is. It's you feel at home there. And even though I was not entirely sure of my skills when I was at uh, the Dominion, I still felt very at home with the, the women that worked there. Very at home. And I felt really at home with the clients too. And I did have the technical skills. I did a lot of flogging. I did a lot of spanking when I was in Indiana. I didn't know about the client relationship Mm -hmm. and exactly how that's supposed to go. And that was the part that I was really winging it. That can be a scary thing to learn on the fly, I would imagine. Yeah. And I think I was really wrestling with a lot of ideas around 
femininity and how I was going to express that and finding power in that and also what men mean. I mean, to be 19 and having a 60-year-old, you know, cis white man on his knees crying in front of you is is a special experience. Hmm. It's leveling in a lot of ways. We've talked about this a lot, like heart-led spaces. The queer spaces feel that way to me. And I've had a lot of imposter syndrome about that. I mean, I love men, <laughs> but I feel at home with queer people. It feels cozy to me and I feel like I can be myself. And that's how the, the dominatrix space felt also. It felt a comfortable way to express being female as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it has to do with that. And I think if you go into these spaces where you feel comfortable, then it's probably because you have the skills and the mindset for it. So if you find yourself out there at a kink club or whatever space feeling very comfortable with it, possibly that's meant for you. And you can spend a little time there and maybe not lie your way in. I don't recommend that. (laughs) It's a big deal for me to like actually express this. It's like been a big secret. Yeah. I don't think people should do that, but we all do those kinds of things at times in our lives. And this one worked out for me. I've lied to get other jobs. And then like I said, I knew Photoshop when I did it once and that failed spectacularly. (laughs) (laughs) You can't lie your way out of that. But um, when it comes to bravado and spanking, I can lie my way in, I guess. And, Mm -hmm. And then I did become the dom that I needed to be pretty quickly. You know, you learn pretty fast. Yeah. So, um, but anybody getting into it now, um, I would find your community first and there's going to be people doing it professionally within that community and finding out how they're doing it these days. Cause there's got to be a secret sauce now that I don't know about. I I think there's still some pro domination houses open at least in Los Angeles, but, uh, it, it may not necessarily be the safest space to work. It might be, but always watch your yourself. You know, people might ask you to do things that you're not comfortable with and you don't ever have to do it. And professionally, if, if you find somebody you want to apprentice under, then, you know, keep in mind that they're doing it their way and it's good to learn their methods and then you'll you'll have your own way. It's an artistic endeavor and it's hmm. spiritual and it has to do with each individual client that you're dealing with. I have a question for you. Okay. I've had some people in person ask me this, and then we had somebody write in, mm-hmm. wondering when the Miracle Whips are going to be on the pod. <laughs> we got to get them on, right? Yes, yes. I don't know how we'd get all four of you in the same spot, but we talked about this a little bit on your interview episode on, on episode two, but uh, you were in this amazing performance art, feminist, queer femme group that I'll never forget your astronaut performance. (laughs) Yeah, Miracle Whips forever. I was sad. We had to cut a fair amount of the Miracle Whips talk out of episode two because it it was feeling too like inner circle kind of like it just wasn't broad enough, I think, for folks who don't know who the Miracle Whips are to understand. But I will say, we will absolutely have them on the podcast. We just have to figure out the, you know, technical setup for having five of us. 
and all having good mics. But, you know, it's funny looking back and really feeling like the Miracle Whips were my coven. Mm-hmm. For me, creative practice is magical. Yes. Like it's that it's all of the elements of magic coming together where there's visioning mm-hmm. and you're putting it into action and you're creating a container and you're making a practice out of it. And I think that I was in some ways my most whole and complete self in those years that we were creating together because we not only made uh, creative work together, we had the same time every single week that we got together at what we called the compound, which was where Kristen and Lisan lived. I mean, at first it was Kristen, Lisan, and Kat all lived together. We made dinner Mm -hmm. once a week. So we would start the act of cooking and, you know, catching up, but then like talking about what our, you know, focus was that we were writing or practicing at that time. It was such an incredible touchstone in my life and where I felt like things really moved in like my energetic space because we were just being really actively creative together. And what will be really fun about having them on the podcast is we did so, I mean, so much of our work was about our feminists and our queerness. And so sex was a really big part of our work. And we did a lot of skill sharing with each other. Like that's probably where some of my best sex education has come from is just learning from those women, like how they were fucking. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. wait for that so to happen. It was a, I love the idea yeah. of a creative coven and mm-hmm. the way you're manifesting art in that way. It's a great way to think about it. Yeah. And I, I have not figured out how to recreate it. Like I, very much have to stay in some sort of like crafting practice to like do things with my hands and like have some sort of creative expression. I mean, I grew up in the theater, right? Like that kind of collaborative process of working with other people to express something was just so like baked in to me. I really, really miss it. And life just gets in the way, you know, like it's... Yeah, we have so many competing priorities as we become more invested in our careers and having kids and long-term partnerships and people move. I mean, that was really the how, why the Miracle Whips ended is because Lisan moved to the Bay and she turns out really was the heart of like keeping the practices going within that group. And right. it was just really hard for us to kind of figure out how to keep it going. But I have High hopes of a Miracle Whips reunion one day. Yeah. Even if just on the fuck yeah pod. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to see all four of you on my screen. Okay. I have a question from Lucy wrote in. Sandra's episode was my favorite. Yes. That's a very popular episode. Sex Nerd Sandra is amazing. If you haven't listened to it yet, please do. You both mentioned your pregnancies. Please say more. I'm newly preggers and would like some sex tips. Oh boy. How do you want to go first? You- when I was pregnant both times, I was hoping that I would be the horny pregnant lady. And I was not. I had and mentioned with Sandra, and now having talked to Sandra, I would approach the pain that I was having differently. Yeah. But I was having some really sharp nerve pain in my pelvis. 
it really just completely stopped sex. I think it was about maybe five or six months into it. It started happening with Luca. And then with Mars, it started happening like three months into it. And I was having trouble walking without being in pain. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it just shut, shut down my sexuality during that time. I wish that that would have, it would have been more fun if that was different and less painful. But I would just say that whatever expectations you have about your sexuality, just go with where it is in that moment. If you are having pain, now we know, see a pelvic floor specialist. Depending on where Mm -hmm. your pain is, you don't have to just take the doctor's word for it, I've learned. And you can find help. It's not (laughs) something you have to just endure. Even if you just don't feel like having sex, or you really do, you have permission to interact with your body however you need to. It's your body and you're doing a tremendous amount of work. Go with what feels right. Yeah. I mean, your body is doing a job that it was designed to do, but it's just like when, you know, your body is digesting food, some of the other systems shut down. There's also all these like cultural expectations around like women as like vessels for penetration. Right. (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, for some people, that's just incredibly uncomfortable as your womb is filling up and so much of your energy and your life force is going to like growing another human or maybe two, you know, depending on whether you're uh, pregnant with twins. Um, But I had a different experience. I think because I had had such body image issues my whole life, like my sexuality was really latent even, I mean, I know we've talked about like I masturbated before you did, man, <laughs> that you feel like you messed up. But aside from that, I was really a very asexual young person and teen. And I think I just had a lot of misunderstandings around my sexuality. Mm-hmm. But I also, that was paired with like a really massive disconnect to my body that just always showed up in my sex. And I had chronic yeast infections from age. 19 or 20 until Ruby was born. Oh, that's hard. My pregnancy corrected the hormonal imbalance in my body that had come from taking orthotricycline to help regulate my periods early in college. So having chronic yeast infections having a kind of disassociated relationship with my body. Pregnancy was the first time that I actually felt a really strong connection to my womb area. Like, mm. And it still is there. I have to work really hard during sex, during just life in general to like get energy into my pelvis. Like from my chest down is like an energetic dead zone for me. I really disassociate from my stomach. So having life growing in my stomach reconnected that energy flow in my body. And so then it also happened to really charge me up sexually. Wow. I felt it for the first time. Wow. And not that I was like hypersexual during pregnancy, but I was more sexual than I expected to be. And I felt really deeply 
connected to my body, in love with my body. Like I felt like so good about things. And then I also just happen, I think, to have that body structure that is kind of designed for pregnancy where I didn't experience a lot of pain. So sex came with a lot more freedom for me mentally and physically, like getting connected to my body felt really good. The other thing I wanted to say about this is I talked to my doctor a lot about sex and physical activity and all those kinds of things during pregnancy. Because I think people start worrying like, oh, is it unsafe to have sex Mm -hmm, during mm -hmm. pregnancy? And you want to approach it the same way that you do with exercise. Whatever's in practice for you before going into your pregnancy is safe to continue to explore. But this is not the time that you're going to start introducing like anal or vaginal fisting if that's like not a thing you've been doing (laughs) before that point. It's also an opportunity to really have kind of a new beginning with because everything is going to change. Like your vaginal lubrication might change. In my case, all my hormone imbalances corrected with the infusion of the pregnancy hormones so that suddenly like my vaginal flora was happy for the first time ever. I've never had yeast infections since. Uh, what a relief. Which is just like yeah, a huge relief. So for me, it was like a big sexual awakening and like a reconnection point in my kind of personal sexual script, sexual journey with my body. So it can be that I also think don't put that kind of expectation onto yourself because truly like it's a time to be present with whatever comes up. Yeah. That's so wonderful. I I can't believe we haven't talked about this really. It's so Mm. interesting and how different the experiences can be. I -hmm. felt a little imprisoned by it. Yeah. I described it as like having a new illness every day. (laughs) It was very hard for me from the very beginning to the end. And I can't believe I did it twice. I mean, I'm very happy I did, of course, to have Mars, but it was it was brutal each time. Yeah. So it's a roller coaster. It really is. Even if you're thinking about doing it, you don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. You don't. And it's like, and there is so much of a focus on pregnancy. And then there's all of the changes that happen after pregnancy, too. So like, oh, another thing that happened for me. Okay. So I have very sensitive nipples Mm -hmm. to the point where Prior to breastfeeding, it was almost a no-go zone for partners. Like you had to be invited. You could not touch them unless you were invited. And I still Mm -hmm. require like a fairly high level of arousal or at least some arousal. Like if you're trying to get me aroused with nipple play, like you could just fuck right off because (laughs) they are like, no, too soon, too fast. Like I can't handle it. But so I was really scared about breastfeeding. I was like, this is going to be torturous for me. Certainly, I didn't feel sexual towards my nipples and my breasts while breastfeeding by any means. But there was a reclaiming of that erogenous zone through the process of breastfeeding where now I can enjoy nipple stimulation and play. I think because it was almost like this really intense immersion therapy of not necessarily desensitizing my nipples, but just making that kind of um, sensation sort of bearable for me. Yeah, that's interesting as well. I I was I've my body's been different since pregnancy for sure. It looks different, but also I had the 
kind of opposite experience where my nipples were a no-go zone because they had no sensitivity, just like that's kind of annoying. Mm. Since pregnancy, it's been an erogenous zone that I've enjoyed playing with. Interesting. I also used to hate eggs and now I love them. Oh, and it lasted. How funny. Yeah. And I'm a little obsessed with eggs. Like I eat probably four or five eggs a day in different forms because I just want them all the time. Yeah. Also, my hair is different. My hair got thicker after it all fell out. Not completely, but a lot of it, your hair usually falls out for a while and then it grew back thicker. Mine didn't last. It grew back thicker for a little while and then it went right back to being like very (laughs) fine. I'm jealous. This yet angel hair. <laughs> I would love to hear about other people's experiences because yes. I've I anybody I've ever talked to about pregnancy, they always have really different experiences. It's a wild ride. I feel like there's a lot of patriarchal shame around talking about pregnancies and birth. I love talking about births. So all the messiness, all the goo and the horror or the beauty, mm-hmm. depending on your experience or both. Send stuff in about that, especially about your sexuality, how it went when you were pregnant and did you shut down did you have more sex or love your body or hate it? I just felt like my stomach was so large I couldn't move and there is a point where I could barely reach my vulva mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I got stuck in a shirt once <laughs> it was brutal Sarah oh yeah no I mean I remember you being pregnant and just being like oh my gosh this is so much to put on this small frame like yeah gosh how are you like carrying this load it it was hard it It was was rough yeah I wouldn't say that I'm fully recovered yet (laughs) (laughs) hey so Mark sent in a question Mm. he says Sarah Mm -hmm. he's on a first name basis with you (laughs) how can someone build an embodied sensual practice with themselves okay so hmm. you're our embodiment expert so people need to know first and foremost what being embodied feels like for all of us that's going to be really different right like for some people it's going to be like uh you can feel warmth or bring attention to a certain part of your body. So like a thing that I'll sometimes do in classes, I believe it's actually a Barbara Corellis technique. You get grounded however you like to do that. You close your eyes, you're sitting, you can put a root down from your spine into the earth and just start breathing and pulling some energy in, noticing your toes, your calves, work your way up so that you just start bringing some attention and some noticing into your body. It's like mindfulness for your body. Yeah. Doing an inventory of the container. And then you can start imagining that you're breathing in like gold light. Mm. You can give it a temperature. You can do this with any color that resonates. Send it somewhere in your body. I always pick the pinkies because they're pretty far out. You got to really push the energy to your extremities, right? So you can like imagine that you're starting to like breathe in gold light, that it's filling your chest cavity, spreading out through your arms, and that it's focusing in like that energy is driving towards your left pinky. 
Mm-hmm. And then just keep doing this while you're breathing. If breathing is for some people like deep breaths are really challenging. So like however much breath you're able to get in, try try to breathe at that level. And then imagine that that like gold light is shooting out of your pinky. And then you open your eyes and you just notice how that pinky feels. Hmm. And that can sometimes be an anchor for realizing that where we put our attention in our bodies, we can move energy in the body. So what does being embodied feel like to you? Does that give you like a tingling sensation? Does that give you a warm sensation? What kinds of things come up for you? Another way you can think about doing this is doing a hell yes or a hell no exercise. I know you're not really a sweets person, Robin, but do you have a favorite (laughs) dessert? I love Skittles. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm really into Skittles right now. Okay. So just like I'm putting in front of you your favorite Skittles. The red ones. The red ones. I just gave you an entire bag of red Skittles. You have no sugar restrictions in this world. You don't have to have any guilt associated with chomping down on this entire bag of red Skittles. Imagine having these red Skittles in front of you and having all of the permission in the world to eat them and enjoy them. Where do you feel that and what does it feel like? The tip of my tongue gets a little energy. Mm. Also just, and I think it has to do also with your voice. There's just a kind of (laughs) little warm, swirly sensation in my chest. Focus on that sensation. That's your like, yes feeling, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the tip of your tongue is also some of the anticipation, which is a very exciting feeling that I think that a lot of us can relate to. Think about that feeling in your chest. And are there any other things that bring that feeling to you? Like the sound of your children's laughter, like Max's hand somewhere (laughs) specifically on your body, or, you know, it can be like a certain pose in your yoga class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say even just my my own hands on my chest can give a nice Mm. energetic, warm feeling. Yes. So the process of building like an embodied sensual practice is locating that feeling in your body. Where does a hell yes live in your body? Or a fuck yeah. Yeah, or a fuck yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I should should adapt this exercise. (laughs) Brand it. Where does the fuck yeah live in your body? What does it feel like? Now you have that connection And that like biofeedback to be looking for in any kind of practice that you're going to do. It can be brushing your hair. It can be lathering your body in lotion. It can be laying under a weighted blanket, warm water of the shower flowing over your body. Then the practice is incorporating some of these pleasure conductors, whatever they are for you into your regular practices or even just noticing when that feeling comes up because that starts being your gateway to inviting that feeling in more and more. So like if you know that the sound of your cat's purr gives Mm -hmm. you that feeling, 
then make sure that when you're in those moments with your cat, when they're like laying on your chest and they're purring on you, that you're really noticing that feeling and let it expand through your body. Because then what's going to start happening is your body is going to, one, want that feeling more than whatever those like stress feelings or, you know, anxiety feelings are. Mm -hmm. It's going to be easier to notice them. And you're going to have really good information about the practices that you should be engaging in that give you that feeling. And I'm intentionally not saying like, yeah, and then you should just be like jacking off more (laughs) because we can actually find these like really embodied sensual moments in non-sexual contexts. And for some people, being able to notice them, experience them, cultivate them in the non-sexual contexts makes it easier to then open up some sensual or sexual play and being a little bit more receptive to that feeling. Yeah, that's my advice on where to start. That's great. I enjoyed that. You took me on an experience. I don't know if I've mentioned this. I think I might have before, but I did have an experience once in my late 20s. I was single and I was very horny and I was laying in my bed and I just decided I was going to think about sex, but not touch my genitals. And I literally was able to orgasm from thinking about it. And I don't even know that I was fantasizing about a specific thing so much, but I was just so aroused in my body and I was able to turn it over. It was a very strange experience. It was very exciting. I haven't been able to do it since, but I don't know. I've really put that much effort into it either. But what what a nice thing to do for yourself to just really be in your own body be with yourself and give yourself that kind of priority. Yeah. I heard a thing on TikTok recently where someone was saying that she's treating herself like a valued guest in her house. Mm. So she brings out the nice dinnerware for herself. She uses the nicest tea that she can offer herself. She uses the fancy lotions and all of this stuff she makes it in that it's been like a a game changer for her of just how she's interacting with herself and I think this is part of that kind of mindset of really treating yourself like a wonderful sensual being that you get to spend all of your time with yeah (laughs) yeah no I mean I think that like we source our sensual I mean not all people but like a lot of people source their sensuality in uh, partner play and being with a partner. You know, you've got all the like hormones and chemistry and things that can really amplify a dynamic or sensation. But we are generally wired for pleasure. And actually, that's a lot of the reason why we have like addictive tendencies Mm -hmm. because the reward pathway in our brain gives more attention to these things that are pleasurable. Now, certainly there's like trauma and like lots of lived experiences or chemical imbalances in the body where the reward pathway doesn't quite work as it's designed. But the more you practice 
engaging in pleasure, even if it's just, and like, I'm so bad at this, like getting up from your desk when you're working and like stepping outside and like feeling the sun on your skin, you know, like setting a timer to like get up and get some like breeze on your body. (laughs) Like those simple acts get you in a state of receptivity for pleasure. And then you're able to layer on some more pleasurable practices. And another person is not required for this way of enhancing your experiencing of pleasure. And it is a very like personal, a gift we could all give to ourselves. And yet (laughs) somehow uh, we get too busy. And I think it circles back to what we were talking about with my fuck yeah is that despite what culture tells us we are actually enough yeah and again not to dissuade anyone or to demean partnered sex or the amazingness of having a coven of creativity Mm -hmm. and of course Mm -hmm. our relationships are massively important but we also have a lot of what we need within ourselves. And we don't always have to look outward. We can also find so much inward. Mm-hmm. So that's a very nice New Year message. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that. Look, look to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's like the inner space and the outer space are in a way infinite. Um, is there a smallest and is there a largest? I don't know. I don't, it's too small or too big to comprehend on our human level. I'm getting like real cosmic now, but we do ignore the inner space so much. And there's so much going on in there that can be pleasurable and strengthening and all of that. So yeah, absolutely. I have a question for you, Robin. Oh yeah. Yeah, not a listener question. It's a, I'm the listener. <laughs> Great. What is your favorite sex tip to teach about that you actually use in your life? My favorite, it's a universal tip. If you're having trouble doing something or just whatever it is. I used to teach a lot of blowjob classes. People would be like, how do I give a great blowjob? Anything that you're doing in the bedroom is about finding your own enthusiasm and pleasure within it. Mm. If you think that you're not great at blowjobs, really focus in on what do you enjoy about blowjobs? How does it actually feel in your own mouth, not just what you're performing, especially when it comes to things that seem service sex acts like oral sex or giving a spanking, whatever it is, you can really take a lesson, I think, from service bottoms in this way. Cleaning of your shoes and the shining of your shoes has a lot to do with the pleasure that they take in it. Cunnilingus is a little bit different. I mean, you really want to be in it and show your own enthusiasm for it, but there is like a certain amount of technique as well. But really like enthusiasm's a large part of what we're doing, finding your own pleasure in it. And then usually that will lead you towards being good at something. I think that in general, in life, you really enjoy doing a certain craft 
and you get better at doing it because you're enjoying yourself while you do it. So that would be my greatest tip. It's so funny because I just wrote a blowjob article yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended it with like throw all the techniques out the window. Like honestly, they are secondary to your enthusiasm and your desire to be doing it. And that like Mm -hmm. your partner can feel that and that that sort of trumps all else. Yeah. Yeah. And while you were even talking about this with Andrea, I don't know how many episodes ago of she kind of brought you to oral sex in a way that you had never experienced before because Mm. of her enthusiasm. Yeah, her love for it. (laughs) Yeah, you can really increase your partner's pleasure because you're enjoying doing what you're doing. If it's a chore, it's going to come off that way. And it doesn't matter what techniques you have unless your partner gets off on that. (laughs) Yeah, in that case, it's just like, get toys because honestly there are so many toys that can kind of replicate that sensation of a mouth like so many masturbation sleeves so many amazing like clitoral suction vibes all the things that you need to create the sensation like if you're gonna just do it as something to check off the list Mm -hmm. you might as well just get a toy that can replicate that sensation and then watch your partner masturbate and like grow in awe at them and get turned on by watching them have pleasure yeah and really oral sex for penises are not necessarily the most sensational kind of stimulation a lot of it is about the visual of it. A lot of it is about the enthusiasm of the the person giving. So find your joy in it, you know, whether it's the joy of that you're doing the act or there's a lot of pleasurable sensations for your mouth. It's a very sensory sexual space. What if you change it from I'm stimulating this penis with my mouth to I'm stimulating my mouth with this penis, Mm. you know, (laughs) whatever, or cock or whatever you want to call them. So, yeah, find your pleasure no matter what aspect of sex you're engaged in, because then it becomes, I think, also less performative and more heartfelt and connected in that way as well. I love it. Thank you for sharing that fabulous tip. Well, happy new year, Robin. Happy new year to you. I'm so glad that we are doing this. I'm so appreciative for everyone who is jumping on this train with us. Yes. And I was so excited to get some questions from folks and be able to go back and forth and answer them. And I'm really excited about what's ahead in the new year. So on that note, please like, subscribe. Thank you everyone who sent in questions. We are eager to field more correspondence with you all. You can reach us at fyapod at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at fuckyapod. And you can visit our website to get onto our email list. I have a feeling that we're going to do some kind of fun activations events or some sort of something in this year ahead. So you'll definitely want to be on our email list. And thank you so much for tuning in and, you know, supporting the podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye.
knocking them out of the park. Fuck Yeah podcast is produced and hosted by me, Sarah Tom Chesson, and Robin Jennings. Theme music is produced and performed by She, Her, Sir. You can find out more about what we're up to at fuckyeahpod.com or reach out directly at fyeahpod at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the pod, give us a hand. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen, and make sure to share it with a few friends. Thanks so much for tuning in.